How do you make real change? Especially to something like the way a society thinks or acts. Perhaps it takes someone who can show how that new way can work. Someone to live out those new priorities. Or just to be what they hope to bring for others. Hi, welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. Today we explore a passage from Mark's Gospel with the stories of a woman in great need of healing and a little girl on the threshold of death come together. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out out from him, He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This story about a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years and a little girl who's close to death is a stunning account of everything that was wrong. Jairus is an official at the local synagogue. He's a man of status, of wealth, 
and well-connected in the social and religious institutions. But as we all discover, money and status are no respecters of tragedy. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and he's desperate. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, asking for help, because when it's a matter of life and death, all that stuff about social protocol and what your boss thinks and what other people will say goes out the window. And Jesus agrees. He agrees to go with Jairus to his house to help the little girl. On the way, as the crowds jostle for position and press in all around Jesus, something strange happens. He feels power go out from him. And he stops. And he asked, who touched me? Before we go any further, we need to understand that blood is a big deal in this society. Any blood. Blood was and still is understood to be where life was. Without blood, there can be no life. That's how kosher butchery works. But it meant that anyone who was bleeding was problematic. We see it in other stories like the Good Samaritan. The problem with the guy who gets mugged is that he's bleeding, and perhaps already dead. Dealing with blood meant a whole set of purification rituals, so people who were bleeding were separated from others. That meant that when women had their period, they were sent out of the house, so that their blood wouldn't contaminate everyone else. They were not allowed to interact with others, or to go out in public. So this woman we hear of has been hemorrhaging for years. She's been forced to live in a state of permanent exclusion from her family, from her friends, from the synagogue, from, well, from life. Because of her bleeding, she is both physically and also metaphorically cut off from life. The disciples ask what Jesus is talking about. Lots of people have touched them. And Jairus is waiting. Hurry up, let's go. This is a matter of life and death. Whoever touched you isn't important. Certainly not here, not now. It can wait. Whoever it is, they can wait. And it's here, here in this moment, here in the choice that Jesus makes that we see the priorities of the kingdom of God. They're revealed. This story is in many ways a classic moral dilemma cast in the societal values of Jesus' time. Women's function in the world was to be a wife and a mother. That's where their value lay. And I mean value in the sense of a possession. So, you have two patients and one doctor. The doctor obviously can't be in two places at once, so has to choose which patient to save. A 12-year-old girl with her whole life ahead of her and with the added twist of being the daughter of someone important, or a woman who's older, who wouldn't be able to have children, who is poor and has contributed nothing to society for 12 years. I say dilemma because I hope for us it would be much more of a dilemma than it was for the people in Jesus' time. The woman literally doesn't matter. She has no value. There's not really anything that could be added or taken away from her that would make her less important. The little girl, on the other hand, is of great value. She's about to reach womanhood. Her father is wealthy and has position in the religious community. She will be sought after as a wife because that will bring her husband into Jairus's social orbit and she'll bring with her a dowry. And Jesus stops. If you wanted an illustration of how completely and radically different the priorities of the kingdom of God are, then you couldn't get much clearer than this. Those who have 
can wait. Those who have nothing can't wait. There's a lot going on here. The woman is made to admit her presence. She could be killed for breaking her exclusion, but Jesus gently restores her to the community. Jairus is one of the officials from the synagogue, remember? Jairus has witnessed this healing, and so he can vouch for the woman. But there's also a conversation about faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's that word shalom again, which we read as peace, but which means completeness, wholeness, well-being, harmony with God. She has been resurrected, brought back from a long and lingering death that was as much about the way she had been treated as it was about her condition. Life had broken into the realm of death. What the woman recognised is that life is there, walking among them in the person of Jesus. And while all of this is happening, the moral dilemma plays out. The servants arrive with news that the girl has died. Jesus has chosen the wrong option. Why did he stop? She was healed. Why didn't he just keep going? Well, because healing isn't just about physical wellness, is it? More and more we know that that's not the case. We know that mental health is just perhaps even more important. We also know that things like moral injury exist, where people like our nurses and doctors are forced to make choices like the one presented to Jesus. Well, there could be a positive outcome for both patients, but because resources are limited, they have to choose. They have to choose between patients. We read that the woman has been very badly treated by the very people who were supposed to help her. She paid money to doctors and healers and a bunch of quacks who promised her to end her problems but only made her worse. And they charged her a fortune in the process, so now she was both ill and poor. She's suffering from a problem that highlights all kinds of issues with the society of the day. She's a walking example of when law and religion and stigma and discrimination come together in a storm as perfect as the one we heard about last week when we explored the story immediately before this one. This woman's healing depends on Jesus stopping. She needs more than to stop bleeding. She needs the life that he can give her. And that's what she gets. But the disciples don't understand and neither does Jairus or any of the others. And now, now the girl is dead. Even though they've just witnessed Jesus restoring this woman to life, they just don't understand what they've seen. They have no idea about the importance of what has taken place here. So what happens next will be just as difficult. Jesus tells the people making a fuss to be quiet. The girl's only sleeping and privately enters the girl's room and tells us to get up. Once again, life is restored, but this time Jesus tells everyone not to say anything. Don't say anything about what has happened, but why? Well, for the same reason he made a very public fuss about the woman. She got what she needed. The girl doesn't need to spend her life as that girl that Jesus brought back to life. But she's also symbolic. Just as the woman is, 12 is the clue. It's not just their age, but a symbol of the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, God's people dying slowly, the life ebbing from them as they embrace the systems of death. And 12, the potential of childhood about to become a woman, a mother, a life bringer. 
But more than all of that, this is a story about prioritising the least. An example of what it looks like to bring life where the power of death has come crashing in, or where life has slowly, almost imperceptibly ebbed away one drip at a time. For Jesus, life is at stake, and death in all its forms is the enemy. I wonder if, like the women, we'd recognise that Jesus can bring his life in all its completeness, or if, like Jairus, we might respond to Jesus' challenge. Do not fear, only believe. Eternal God, we have no way of describing you other than in human words. No way of imagining you other than in pictures drawn from our own experience. But if there is any truth in the notion that we were made in your image, then perhaps we will not go too far wrong in looking at ourselves and seeing you reflected there. If we want to bring that image into clearer focus, we can look at Jesus, who lived as we do, only more fully, who loved as we do, only more deeply. And at a far greater cost to himself, he believed and he questioned, he trusted and he wavered, he loved and was disappointed, he laughed and he wept and he raged, and all of it he shared with you in his intimate and his public prayers. We come today in like mind to share our sorrows and our joys, to ask your blessing on those whose needs have touched our hearts in recent days. We pray for all who are mourning the loss of a loved one, especially if theirs was a love that had to be hidden, or was of an intensity that others might not understand. We grieve with those who have lost a parent, or a child, a husband, wife or partner but also with animal lovers who have lost a much-loved pet. Infertile couples who mourn a once-hoped-for future. Loving friends separated by death. And some, ourselves perhaps included, who are just sad without really knowing why. Too many losses, too much grief. Wait with us, we pray, until the weeping has subsided and then help us to stand up and face the world again. Not forgetting what has been lost, but absorbing it into a new version of ourselves that is more gentle, more compassionate, more determined than ever to go on living and loving and working with you. To make this poor, broken world more like your kingdom, which is already here, and for whose coming we pray. These things we pray in your holy name, who taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The one who hears the breaking heart, the silent tear, the one who feels the ache of sorrow, the grief concealed, walks with the weary, comforts the weeping, gives peace to the sorrowing. As Christ's body in the world, may we be agents of loving compassion, tending and listening, binding up wounds, and go now to be blessed and be a blessing. Go now, the blessing of God Almighty, Creator, Source and Spirit, today and always. Amen. Amen.